again to do another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, but again, got a lot of information here to share with our listeners this morning. Uh, we'll be recruiting focused as uh, as we jump into a variety of different subjects. But as always, want to thank our friends in Louisiana. Hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Tip of the hat to the people of New Iberia who make the Nolcast possible. And uh, a thank you, as always, to our title sponsor. So um, this f- episode will be recruiting focused. But uh, before we start, Bud, why don't we just talk a little bit about the broader landscape around us, have a little bit of a better idea as to kind of as some of these states try to come back online, uh, what what some of the opening ideas as to what the return of college football might look like. And, um, you know, we certainly don't have any exact dates, uh, but it looks like we may have a, a little bit better conceptualization, at least for some of these schools, as to what you know, normal uh, normalcy might look like. Yeah, man, for sure. So uh, yesterday we got word that uh, looks like the uh, state university schools uh, in Florida should should be having some kind of plan out soon uh, with regards to what they might have going on in the fall. That, that's that's really the first step, I, I, I think, uh, to to us getting sort of some clues about well, if you're going to have a fall football season, if you're going to have a fall football season that starts on time etc. Uh, we saw, I think it was University of South Carolina, and I think this is notable because it, it's a Southern school, uh, but they said that they were going to go uh, all online classes after, was it after Thanksgiving or after November 1, I think? Uh, one of those two days. It, it's certainly something in November that uh, that South Carolina has decided to do that, I, I guess, because the whole, uh, the flu uh, spreads more easily when it's when it's cold out and, and probably when people are, are you know staying indoors more less sunshine etc uh i've seen some northern schools say that but i i thought it was a little bit notable that a southern school uh said that however uh, like florida is even more southern in terms of, of geography and, uh, and and weather so I, I don't know if that's something that, that the uh, the florida schools will do it's certainly something i know that has been at least uh, discussed according to people I talk to. So I'm interested to see what they have, uh, like w- what they're going to put together and then, um, and then how it's going to play into the greater picture within the conference. We've talked about this previously. Um, it, it's just going to be fascinating to see, uh, what happens. And, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a decent idea that, uh, maybe two thirds of the ACC will, you know, kind of be uh, proverbially open for business when it comes to collegiate athletics and college football, and maybe a couple states that aren't. Uh, it, it's just going to be fascinating to see how this how this works out. Um, we've talked about some of the non-conference games that we have concerns with. Obviously, the Boise game is uh, amongst that, but I, I think there may be even some you know some confusion and some additional work to be done logistically, possibly if. Uh, you know, if, if say the Syracuse and the Boston colleges of the world aren't aren't able to come back online and and uh, you know take part in in a traditional 2020 college football season. Yeah, wh- what do you think the magic number is is there? Like like let's say let's say within the conference. Uh, all right, think about the states that that are that are the most northern in in this conference, right? So let's say New York with Syracuse, Massachusetts with, with Boston College. Uh, Pitt, obviously, in, in Pennsylvania, and who, who's the fourth that I'm, I'm missing that, that's that's pretty far north? Maybe the, the Virginia schools? Yeah, I mean, that's as, that's as northern exposure as you have at this point in the conference is, uh, I guess, Virginia Tech, yeah. And, or or, and or maybe Duke. I mean, like, what what if Duke, you know, who's, who's private would say, like, remember, Duke was one of the first schools to say, we're not playing in this tournament, right? Yeah. Um, so what if you took the three northern schools – uh, and Duke, and you said, and, and they, they said, hey, like our states are either aren't opening or we're not playing. It, do you think this league would play if if ten of the fourteen said we're we're good to go and just modify the schedule? Uh, <laughs> I think it's going to matter as to who those ten of the fourteen are, definitely. And uh, and if Duke is not playing ball, I'd have a little bit of concern with it, certainly. I, you know, this is going to be repetitive. This is going to be what we've covered. 
almost every person in college athletics is going to move uh, mountains to try to get this college football season in and, and preferably in during a somewhat of a traditional time slot for it. So always want to, uh, you know, to acknowledge that. And uh, but I think if you see any more than maybe four, then you have I would start to get concerned about how a conference schedule is going to play out or how they're going to be able to, uh, you know, work anything within the, a normal timeline. Um, makes, makes me sense. uncomfortable sitting here, <laughs> sitting here, sitting here talking about it, to be perfectly honest with you. But, yeah, no, I think you bring up a good point. And uh, in my opinion, anything more than that number, anything more than – I think four is kind of the magic number. Anything more than that, then you have to start to get concerned more about conference play as a whole. So I, I think this is this is pretty interesting. Um, if you did have that that scenario play out, and I, I think if if you did have like a ten four split, and I think those teams that I mentioned are probably the most likely that that would and and, and wouldn't. The Duke thing I'm not, I'm not sure about, but I, I think the the more north you go, uh, the less important college football is uh, to the states that that are making the decisions, right? Um, and you still wanted to play an eight-game conference schedule if you had those t- those ten teams. I mean, I, I think Florida State's schedule gets a lot more entertaining if if that happens. I mean, do, do you realize who they they might be playing? Because they they play BC this year, they play Cuse this year, like every year, and they also play Pitt this year. So you'd be picking up three games from basically the the coastal, not including Duke, and you already play Miami, and you already play Pitt, right? So you'd basically be adding three games out of VTech, UVA, Georgia Tech, and UNC. Yeah. To your game schedule. It'd be like being in a being in a conference before uh, all these super conferences were clobbered together where you actually see everybody or or the vast majority of your conference every year right after one would uh you know obviously would rather that happen outside of uh, of these circumstances but uh that sounds pretty enticing to me, to be honest with you. I'm not sure it'd be a great thing for Florida State's record per se, but um, I would I would love to see a little bit more of the attractive half of the coastal. I'll put it that way. Yeah, for, uh, absolutely. Um, and the idea that Florida State and Georgia Tech play once every six years is uh, a massive failure of this conference and uh, a broader conversation that would distract us from our otherwise well mapped out show today. But I will just uh, use my platform to reiterate reiterate that and uh if if covid were to bring that about then i would welcome it so so uh, do you think georgia tech fans want that game want because i want uh, to, play, to play florida state I, yeah. I think they want to play florida state in 2021 i'm not sure they want florida state quite yet but yeah they definitely want that game they do georgia Tech's schedule this year is brutal they i they might win three games like they might win two games that that's going to be a fascinating look at like the impact of COVID on, on recruiting. Uh, Cause like this is supposed to be Georgia techs, you know, the, like their, their year that they really take off in recruiting, right? They had that little short season class. And then last year they had a pretty decent class by their standards. They signed, signed two of the more talented individuals they've signed in 10 years. Yeah. I mean, they've yeah. got some, the, the class itself wasn't, Brilliant, but certainly have some bright spots to point to that Georgia Tech hasn't hasn't been able to do uh, really since the end of the Chant Gailey era. And, and I'm not ready to say this is like absolute fact, but I'm I'm sort of leaning towards having the belief that in the early signing period era, it might not be the first full class you sign, but it might be the second full class you sign. So for Norvell, uh, for example, it would be the 2022 class, right? For like take a look at what Pruitt's doing at at, at Tennessee. This is their second full class that they're signing. This is going to be Georgia Tech's second full class that they're signing. And this COVID thing has sort of made the impact of that really hard. I, I, I kind of wonder how many coaches hired in this era uh, of, of this COVID stuff. Like if you were a 2019 hire, man, that's that's pretty tough, you know, um, to, to, to make it through that because a lot of, a lot of your chance to make an impact on these kids has been lost and maybe for 2020 uh, hires too. It's, it's certainly not easy. I wanted to throw you one more hypothetical before we get into some recruiting and and some team chat. Uh, Let me ask you this. 
let's say, because Boise State's in the Mountain West, obviously, and there are several Mountain West schools that are in California, and California has, they're probably the conference among the Power Fives, the, the Pac-12, that we're the most worried about about playing because they they are out there and you know I think California schools are being a little little safer with this stuff. Uh, but Boise is in a place that has had very little little uh, little virus exposure or or outbreak. Uh, do we know like how they would handle this if the Mountain West says we're not playing, but Boise's still on FSU schedule? Like is Florida State going to fly out there? Are they going to like? Or is Boise going to? Go ahead and play their non-conference games. Have we heard anything on this? What, what do you think would happen? Uh, fascinating to see what happens here. I mean, I certainly would expect that uh, the Boise would want that game to be played. Was it Boise, the school that also furloughed most of its staff uh, yeah. early in the process as well? So it gives you an idea as to some of the you know limited financial uh, wherewithal that's that's there to support some of these universities and some of these schools, uh, particularly a school like Boise. Um, we talked about it last week. The two games that I'm particularly concerned about with Florida State's schedule is is the West Virginia and the Boise game. Um, West Virginia talk about a you know their their president's made it pretty clear that he wants to play football. I think saying something to the extent that uh, we'll have football this fall, even if it means that I have to uh, get out there and play. So certainly has the uh, the institutional support of playing, but uh, I, I'm concerned with both of those games and the Boise game at this point. I think it's a coin flip and probably, probably even less than such that 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 game takes place at least as originally scheduled and planned. I, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. I'm I'm similar like I am similarly nervous. Uh, can't talk today uh, about the uh, about the game there in Atlanta. But but I don't know that that would mean that it wouldn't be played. I just I, I kind of wonder if it would be played in Atlanta, right? Maybe you move that to a home game for one of those states or or something like that. If I'm Boise, man, I'm that's a non-conference game, right? Like like to me, the Mountain West shouldn't have a whole lot of say in that, and I need that money. Like I'm I'm doing everything I can to play that game. Yeah, like they need that money. Yeah, I don't have to cut the conference in on, on that. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think at least not, you know, not like the conference has authority over, over league games. Like that's, that's a non-con deal. That's a contract we sign outside the conference. So, um, you know, let's, let's go ahead and play that thing. I think they'd want to do everything. The, the only, you know, the situation, well, who knows? I don't know. We're all talking about crazy hypotheticals here with this, but if their regular conference schedule was moved in such a manner, but again, that's a, you know, we'll we'll discuss those more complicated issues if we see that actually happen. And one thing that's not complicated, one thing that's very simple, is um, as our, our partnership and ability to be able to work with Madison Social and the support that you guys have given them. It's uh, certainly meant a, an awful lot to Bud and I. Uh, just the whether it be people purchasing shirts, whether it be gift cards uh, now with the idea of redeeming them in the fall. Uh, Madso's back and open as his township. Uh, obviously that does not mean that all their <laughs> concerns, uh, have been, have been immediately removed, but, uh, the amount of support that has been given to, uh, really an, an institution at this point in, in Florida state athletics and the experience of, of, uh, of going or supporting to Florida state has been very impressive and just would encourage people to have them in the back of their mind, uh, whether it be for a, uh, a, a great lunch or whether it be for a gift card. Uh, with the idea that you, you know, take advantage of it when you come to visit campus in October and November. Absolutely. All right, uh, let's get into a little bit of recruiting chat. Uh, Ingram, I don't know if you saw this, but like maybe a week ago now, they, uh, the NCAA allowed unlimited phone calls. So Unlimited, no, yeah. Uh, unlimited. Get your, get, your, uh, get your all your calls in for the five-star offensive tackles because uh, Lord knows kids want to be called 36 times a day or whatever it may be. Yeah, that was funny. Amarius Mims was, uh, uh, yeah, he, he was like, oh, I've been called, what, what do you have, 36 calls today or something like that, he, I think he tweeted uh, that you're referencing. Um, Aggressive. Aggressive. Yeah. So um, these coaches, they, they better make sure they have, have enough minutes on their phone, man. This, this is a lot, of, a lot of calling that they're having to do. It, unsurprisingly, it has led to a lot of commitments. Um, there are eight, well, I think we're, well, these but, numbers are, are wackadoo. Yeah. It's something that we've been talking about for a while, and you've been writing about, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But 
I think last time we were saying, well, if you look at the past two classes, then this is about where we are. 800 kids committed, almost 800 kids committed. I think uh, by the time at, you hear this, yeah, there, there will be last year there were 350. I mean, <laughs> these numbers are uh, are are pretty hilarious. And like you said, uh, you know, it's it's decommitment season is going to be real fun to watch. Uh, put it that way. Yeah. So look, I. I this this is just it's such an interesting process this year. It's something that we've we've never had to cover like this. Now, some people will, will say, yeah, look, it, the the timetable is sped up this year, and if you would just look at like June and July, that's when a lot of commitments normally happen because kids get up to camp, they get greenlit greenlit for for offers to commit, and they go ahead and commit. So so these these numbers will will even out uh, some in the next couple months, right? And and I I agree with them. They're right. Because, yes, they're eventually for two reasons. Number one, uh, schools will run out of spots to like they can't just keep accepting commits in perpetuity. Like you're not going to see a school that ends up having 40 verbal commitments right now. Like this is not 10 years ago, Houston nut or 15 years ago at this point. Gosh, we're, we're getting old. Um, but the thing is, the, I, I think the key difference here is that. Normally, those June and July commitments, they're, they're based on something. They're based on a kid having come up to camp. He got a height and weight done. The school was able to talk to him. They might have got him on the whiteboard a little bit during his visit. They have a general feel maybe for how he thinks about the game. They have something other than just his highlight tape to look at. And you're seeing a lot of these kids who are committing to schools without having visited. And yes, they're doing the virtual visits and all, and all that stuff, but it, it's not it's not quite the same. Um, and so, yeah, the numbers will even out eventually, but I do agree with you. I think on the backside of this, as long as we open up for visits, I, I do think that uh, we may end up having a, a really epic decommit season. And unless we don't open up for visits, and, and if we don't, maybe these kids just, just stick with, with where they've gone. Um, mm -hmm. Florida state's been very clear on this and I will talk more about this in a minute, but they are not taking commits from kids like who, who they haven't seen, who they don't really know. Right. And especially if they don't feel like the kid actually wants to commit to them, to be committed to them. If they, if they get the sense that he's just committing to hold a spot, uh, like I know for a fact, there's some kids who, who wanted to commit just to hold a spot, but they've, they've turned them down because it like, they don't think the kid, uh, you know, is actually into them. Uh, but they they did it. They they took a commit on on Monday uh, from a player who did visit for the junior day, and that was uh, that was Kevin Knowles, a cornerback from MacArthur High School down there in South Florida. Yeah, uh, very appropriately named individual. If you're a Florida State fan, that uh, could be a lot of fun to talk about the. The great coverage provided by Knowles on the play, uh, spelled K-N-O-W-L-E-S, uh, certainly from a, a talented area of the state. Uh, Three-star kid, uh, nice tape when you watch it. I mean, you can see some of the some of the appeal there. Um, a little bit of a uh, off the radar, at least for somebody like myself, maybe not for for you, but uh, talented player. I made this comparison a couple weeks ago to uh, I think actually to the kid transferring in, but. Uh, has some has a little bit of Mike Harris in his game, if you remember uh, from 10 or 12 years ago, the Juco kid that, that transferred in to provide such a good depth uh, to that secondary. And, and the fact that he's not uh, massive, but he's somewhere around 5'10 or so, seems to be able to play uh, a lot of different positions, uh, aggressive uh, when coming up to provide run support. Uh, nice player. Well, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, what ultimately turns, uh, you know, comes of it and, and what his senior season looks like. But uh, an interesting prospect. He really is. And I think he was, yeah, he was off the radar for me, too. I, I did not know that Florida State uh, was as high on Knowles as, as they apparently uh, were. And I do think that they're pretty high on the kid because, obviously, like I know they've, they've turned some dudes down. Uh, I agree with you. It, when you watch his highlight tape, uh, he does cover – pretty well he seems to be a a cover guy he's not afraid to hit I don't think hitting is his like number one attribute he's not that big um he's listed at 510 or 511 I I have seen Kevin before so I in my mind I don't think of him as being like one of these kids who's listed at 510 and is actually 58 or anything like that I, I think he's probably like a legit 
five ten, five eleven, um, which is honestly what a lot of the kids listed at six foot end up being, and, and until you get that verified height weight on them. Uh, but he, he looks he looks pretty good. I don't think that he is going to be like someone who's in line for some kind of huge four star bump at this time. I I wouldn't think he is a player who I think potentially could have gotten a bump if we had seven on seven season this summer because he's a guy who can, looks like he can cover in space. And uh, that type of trait does get either either exposed or demonstrated at the seven-on-seven seven events. And so I, I think Kevin's a player who certainly could have have shined this summer on the seven-on-seven seven circuit. I, I think he plays for, for Florida Fire, if I, if I recall. I know a lot of MacArthur kids uh, have over the years. Uh, but yeah, so Florida State now has taken two shorter corners in, uh, in in recent weeks. First, Hunter Washington, who's the top 250 player uh, in the country, according to the composite. And then Kevin Knowles, who's just outside the top 500 on the composite. Uh, like They both look like solid players. I don't know that either of them are, are enormous difference makers. Uh, but do, do, you read any, do you read into anything here about Florida State taking uh, two shorter corners? Um. I don't necessarily. I mean, what I what I do think is that we'll see uh, more clearly defined safety prospects taken. I mean, I, I guess that's that's my immediate takeaway. A lot of these kids really are just kind of, you know, the height. Uh, let me. I'm not particularly using all my words that greatly uh, or in that great a fashion this morning either. But really, I just. So far, the two kids on board are just kind of corners, uh, in my opinion. They're not really short, not really uh, particularly long or, or rangy. Um, I do think that the kids that you choose to take as safeties will have to have at least a little bit of a different body type or at least a little bit of a, a different play style from what you've seen from them. Yeah, and if you look at the roster, um, last year, I, I think it's important to make sure uh, that you have some ceiling and some floor assuming that you're not going to be able to get guys who have both ceiling and floor. And I don't know that Florida state in this cycle is going to be in a position to land guys who have great length and great coverability, right? It just doesn't seem like they're in position with those level of prospects, mainly because they just don't have relationships with, with, with any of them. They, they have to kind of get what they can get. But last year uh, you landed some serious length at the position, right? You, you did get Demory Tate, uh, who, who stayed committed to you? Probably, probably the biggest commitment Jim, or uh, uh, Mike Norvell has landed in, in his entire time here, or, or biggest win was keeping Demory Tate there in in that recruiting class. Uh, you know, you also land um, who was the kid that got out of uh, Mobile, uh, Sidney Williams, right? Your, mm-hmm. your 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 kid who they they think could play corner out out of out of Mobile. He was a three star, but he was like a six one uh, type kid. So. Last year, you get two really tall corners, uh, both both 6'1 guys, and, and I think they're legit 6'1 types. Um, this year so far, you started out with two guys who are shorter, uh, but the one in, in Washington who might be more of that sort of nickel hybrid role, uh, hybrid between corner and safety, not, not between safety and linebacker, to be clear. Uh, and then you also went out and, and got Kevin Knowles, who's a shorter guy, but, but can cover uh, pretty well. And then you also in the transfer portal went out and got Miko Dotson, uh, a guy who I, I think is is probably a pretty decent coverage player, maybe not a huge impact guy. Uh, so it does seem like they're trying to uh, to make sure they have some ceiling and, and some floor, uh, which is what you have to do if you can't go get players who, who have both. Uh, so that's that's sort of my take on it. And I totally agree with you, by the way, about them needing to take um, take take two more safeties. Uh, I, I think if they can get like Arnold and, and Harvey in this class, they, they'd be absolutely thrilled. Uh, speaking of ceiling and floor, uh, I got both here in my house where I got my mortgage and my refi uh, from Shannon Young of Resolution Home Loans. You can reach Shannon 844 FSU Loan. More than 50 Nolcast listeners have used Shannon and Rezo. To, to get either their mortgage or their refi. It's been a great partnership for us, and, and Shannon's just absolutely the best loan guy in the business for my money. So 844-FSU-LOAN. Make sure you check them out. Great rates, and, and if uh, if you're one of those folks out there who's struggling right now, 
Uh, and instead of turning to high interest credit cards, it, it's, it's worth giving Shannon a call just to check out to see if, uh, if you might unlock some of that equity in your home, perhaps to manage your debt load during this time. All right, bud. Uh, we've got some some movement on the recruiting scene that helps provide a little bit more clarity to a position that we've talked an awful lot about. Unfortunately, it's not uh, necessarily immediately positive news. Maybe a long term positive in the fact that it provides more clarity to uh, to the position board. But Caleb Johnson and Garner Langlo both to Auburn. Uh, Caleb Johnson is an interesting prospect and. Certainly would have loved for Florida State to have been in with him and for him to have been uh, seriously interested in Florida State, but that just never seemed to be the case. And, and for all the reasons why it appeared to be a good fit from uh, from this side of the this side of the coin, uh, never seemed to be a good fit for the prospect. I mean, it, Florida State just never had a whole lot of traction with with Johnson. It certainly appeared from my perspective, and it would have been nice. Would have been a great uh, idea to get a kid and be able to combine him with his teammate, but uh, Johnson independently never really seemed to like Florida State, and there just never seemed to be a whole lot of traction to this idea that he was going to be one of the one of the tackles in the class. Yeah, so when I joined 24-7, um, Johnson had recently been to Florida State for a junior day, and and, I, and following that visit, he, he said all, all the nice things and, and all the right things, and I, I think he genuinely liked what he saw there in person on the junior day. Uh, but my first event that I covered for, uh, for 24 seven was the Under Armour Orlando camp. And dude, he didn't mention Florida state to me at all until I specifically brought up the Florida schools. Like he seemed like a guy who wanted to go to a Southern school, right? Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, somewhere like that. And it was, that was pretty striking to me. Cause typically like if I have to bring up a school to you, because I, I know like that school site wants me to ask. Uh, that's not a great sign if, if you didn't mention him. And then he then he kind of said, yeah, you know, I, I like Florida State, I, I like Coach Atkins, et cetera. Uh, but he just never really seemed like Florida State to me. Every time I talked to Caleb, didn't come up. And so that to me was telling because he because Auburn did come up. And I remember I I, I, I caught a bunch of uh, of flack for for putting in a crystal ball for Caleb to Auburn and, and, and going on Auburn's board and saying, I, I think this one's pretty, pretty, pretty trending in Auburn's favor. Um, and Florida state fans didn't like that obviously, because you know, I was new. And then I, immediately I was bringing him negative news on an offensive tackle prospect. And that's a position that Florida state needs, uh, needs a lot of help with, but that's just kind of what it was, man. Like, like he just didn't, he didn't like them like, like he liked Auburn. I, I don't think Florida state messed up there. I mean, they, they were on him early. They recruited him, but he, he kind of wanted to go out of state to one of those like traditionally Southern schools is, is the vibe I got uh, from Caleb. Now, the interesting thing is his teammate, who's also teammates of Florida State center commit, Jake Slaughter, who, who Florida recently uh, offered Slaughter, and I know they're, they're trying to flip him. Uh, but Garner Langlow is a prospect who I, I had advocated offering. Um, and the feedback I got on, on Langlow from, from my sources was that I, I don't know that Florida state was as high on him as I was. And they did eventually offer him, I think a week or two ago. Now uh, I was advocating, I mean, hell what four or five weeks ago to, to offer Langlo, just looking at what their offensive tackle board or, or what I think it looks like. Um, Cause they're not going to send me pictures of it, obviously. Uh, I don't think Florida state, I, I, I think Florida state offered Garner Langlo not to take him but to get him to slow down his recruiting process. And I, I think Auburn offered him to take him along with his friend, Caleb Johnson. If Florida State offers Langlo earlier than they did, I still don't think they get Johnson. They might get Langlo. And I'm not, I'm not really convinced that Langlo is someone that they wanted to take at this point because they hadn't seen him in person. They hadn't seen him work out, right? They really, they, they, I don't think they were totally sold on him. I think they offered him to slow down his recruiting process, and ultimately, it, it didn't work because once once Johnson was ready to actually commit to Auburn, Auburn decided that they would go ahead and take Langlo um, as well. What do you think about that theory? Because that that that's kind of what I, I think happened. I'm not really convinced that they were sold on offering him to take him. Yeah, I, th I think the the Langlo offer was to try to um, <clears throat> try to get him to 
just reevaluate the process and drag it out a little bit longer. Um, you know, it's been fascinating. I mean, we have never as a podcast ever devoted this much uh, attention, devoted time to uh, one one position group as far as the recruiting process. And certainly part of that is is COVID related and there haven't been a ton of other stories, but part of it's just the, the sheer raw reflection as to how important it is to this program right now. So it's been fascinating for us to you know, spend 20 minutes a pod for the last two months on this and kind of watch how some of this process has played out and also acknowledge that there's still, you know, there's still a lot of time to see how this works. But, um, you know, when offers have been presented, who they've been presented to has been a, a fascinating process and kind of, you know, everybody obviously is dealing with recruiting differently uh, this year, but Florida State does seem to be somewhat resolute in kind of sticking to their guns and figuring out, you know, how to offer kids, when to offer kids, whether or not there's a real relationship there, whether or not they've actually seen them in person. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to <laughs> be in an experience like this where we're talking about all of COVID's impact on sports and whether or not it's going to happen. Uh, but it, at least for a short period of time, it has kind of made some of the uh, decision-making tied to recruiting uh, all the more interesting to follow and, and maybe a little bit more strategy involved in a, a topic that is never short of it. Exactly right. I, man, they are really sticking to their guns on this, like not taking commits from kids who haven't visited them. And that is somewhere like, do you think that they should be willing to bend that strategy when it comes to offensive tackles? Cause I, I think you can argue it both ways. You could say, yes, they should uh, because the, the position is that important. But the, on the other hand, like if they take the wrong ones and they fill up and they end up with guys who are, are only you know, developmental types, uh, then you're, you're really kind of kicking that can down the road pretty hard, uh, which I, I understand. And Florida State also, I, I know for a fact they are concerned with taking kids who haven't visited or who really aren't that into them. And then they later find out, okay, like we don't like this kid that much. Now that we've actually had a chance to get out to his high school practice and see him and realize he's not that great, right? The, the highlight tape and the film showed one thing, but like him in person, now that we actually see his physical presence, uh, we, we're not really big fans. And then we got to drop him. I know for a fact this staff is concerned, and a lot of new staffs in different states are concerned with having to drop kids and have that be sort of one of their first impressions on these high school coaches, most of whom have not met Mike Norvell, right? Like, so they're concerned with their relationship and their image within the state, which is why I think that they are are taking this rather conservative tact. I, I think this is smart on their part if they are correct in the belief that they will get time. And not just time this year, right? Because, like, obviously you're going to need visits to, to get open back up. You're going to need all, all that kind of stuff. But also time in terms of, of leniency from the administration. Um, if if they were on a very shortened time frame to have success, uh, then I think that rolling the dice would be more uh, more appropriate. But it, it seems like they are uh, they're sticking to their guns right now. And for Florida State, clearly, like like the sooner that visits open back up, the the better. They, they've been they've been hammering the phones, um, and, and but they they want to see these guys in person. And I it's hard to blame them for that. Um, their class rank, by the way, is up to, uh, up to 32. 32. Uh, I think, you know, an interesting note is that their average star rating is, uh, what, 89.15, which to give you perspective, Tennessee with a number two class in the nation has a, uh, average star rating of 89.62, uh, not suggesting that Florida State's anywhere near the second class in the country, more, uh, really pointing out how some of these classes can be, at least the early evaluation of them can be uh, kind of artificially inflated by the number of, of kids taken. Um, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think Florida State's class is going to be in the 30s. Uh, I think Florida State will end up uh, with a you know class probably somewhere ranked between, I would guess, 7 and 13 in the country. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where Florida State stands right now. And I guess that leads to some kind of internal question as to should Florida State fans be nervous right now? Should they 
Uh, I know it's easy to panic when it comes to the topic of recruiting, but um, should Florida State fans have an expectation that maybe they they should be further along in the in the process of rebuilding the program, at least with uh, his first uh, full class in name? Uh, man, this is such a tough one. So, yes, absolutely they should panic if they expect this thing to get turned around in short, in short order. Because right now, Mike Norvell and his staff are not getting a lot of difference makers. Uh, that's not really their fault during this. A lot of these kids have no idea who Mike Norvell is, right? Like, they just they don't know him. They never met him. And it's not like – a lot of these kids don't really follow college football either. They just – they – don't, which is kind of weird. They, they play high school football, but they don't really follow college football all that much. And I guarantee you they don't follow Memphis. So this spring was very important for them to go out in the state and, and meet these kids and, and make introductions and, and get visits. Uh, so if you expect this thing to get turned around in short order, if you're expecting, you know, 11, 12 wins by, by year three, then yeah, you, you should, you should panic. Uh, but if you think Mike Mike Norvell gets a like long enough leash to potentially like if you believe in Mike Norvell and you believe he gets a long enough leash to overcome this COVID issue, which is really killing the, these first year staffs, uh, then no, I I don't think you should panic at all. Um, I I'm going to be interested to follow what happens with this staff if if visits like aren't allowed until I don't know like September or something like that. You know, like if we're getting kids on campus in June, July, that's, that's one thing. If, if visits aren't allowed until like September, October, does it, then you're kind of getting a little bit, a little bit closer to that, that sweating date. Are you worried at that point about what happens? Or are you worried at that point about, you know, like, are you going to start taking kids who haven't visited? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fascinating. I, I I think that if you're a point to where you can't get kids in September or to campus until September or October, that you're probably in, in place of maybe seeing that early signing day um, move or, or some flexibility in, uh, towards it. But again, this is all hypotheticals. So we'll have to see how it, it figures out from a Florida State perspective. Hey, look, Mike Norvell's he's going to get the leash. I mean, <laughs> Mike Norvell's leash is going to be very, very long uh, when when you look at a, a institution's ability to fire someone. I, I think one of the broader, more longer lasting impacts is that a lot of these coaches are going to get a longer leash. Uh, like if you're a school that your support is heavily tied to the energy markets or something like that right now, like obviously Texas A&M comes to mind, other places like the idea that you're going to pay coaches 35 million, 45, 55, however many million dollars to not coach, I think is going to be um, a pill that is a hell of a lot harder to swallow and a pill that's not going to be swallowed with the frequency that maybe you had seen previously. Uh, so it'll be fascinating to watch. That's a much broader topic and not really something that we have uh, carved out for today's conversation. But um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how the issue of buyouts are are addressed and um, if you have all these situations uh, where municipal budgets state budgets and stuff like that have been impacted uh, obviously I'm not suggesting that those are the funds that are taken to fire coaches uh, but I think it's going to be harder to justify why you know XYZ can't happen at a state university but they can fire a head coach for 42 million dollars to not work for the next five years or something like that. Oh, you, you, you'll find this funny. I, I was arguing with a mutual acquaintance of ours yesterday on the phone. He called me and he's like, I, I just I don't think Mike Marvell is going to work out because uh, like the recruiting right now is, is so underwhelming. And I was like, yeah, I mean, a lar- large part of it is like nobody knows, like not nobody, but a lot of these kids don't know Mike and uh, like they really haven't had any time. So I think it's probably a little premature to to be saying stuff like this, but. You, you know who I'm talking about here. I'm pretty sure. And, uh, you know, he, he was like, oh, I just like, they, look, man, if, if they fired Willie after just two years, they, they, they could definitely do it here, too. Uh, and I was like, Oof. you know, they, they really couldn't afford to do what what they did with Willie. Like, it wasn't like they, they had the money to do that. They had to kind of do some really creative stuff that might put them in a bind down the road uh, to do that. And I'm, I'm really... Uh, 
really skeptical that uh, that they would have the uh, the willingness or the ability uh, to do so. And I think they like Norvell, but more than they like Willie. I think the internal impression that that he's made on some people uh, is something that he's been focused on making a good one, you know. And I, I think that they'll Very. give him some. I think they'll give him a lot of time, assuming uh, assuming that that he can show some progress. And uh, you know, it's 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 weird times we live in, man. And yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I absent like a behavior situation, absent some type of, uh, you know, absent something that is <clears throat> not paired with the expectation of the of the position. Man, I think Mike Norvell is going to have all the flexibility in the world here. Now, obviously, we just talked about a, a coach that we didn't think an institution had the ability to fire in the year that they did. So um, always going to have that in the back of my mind when it comes to Willie. But I, I yeah, I don't see Florida State talking about a buyout anytime soon for for many coaches, particularly uh, a, f- a football coach. 100% agree. And like, like we said, it is weird times that we live in. And if you've lost your job or, or had a reduction in your income, you really ought to call Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a board certified family law attorney of the Metter and Johnson law firm. Uh, look, we don't know how long this current economic situation is, is going to last, but if you have a child support or alimony obligation, you you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. It's important to seek a court order, court order modification of your child support or alimony payment as soon as possible, as any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of filing, not to the time of the change in your income. I'll say that again. Any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of the filing, not to the time of the change in your income, even if you expect only a short-term loss of income. Travis Johnson can help you temporarily reduce your support obligation. And Travis, for NOLCast listeners, which he's one great dude here, free consult available for NOLCast listeners and flexible payment options as well. 850-435-9919. Take down that number even if you don't need it today. You might need it tomorrow. 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson, family law attorney of the Metter & Johnson firm. All right, but just a couple of uh, kind of this, that, and the other facts that we'll uh, we'll give up as we we wrap up this episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Amari Gaynor, a local prospect, uh, a local member of the football roster, currently listing himself at 227 pounds, uh, up 27 pounds, uh, according to him at least, uh, which is nice. It does. It's just a little bit concerning if you back that out and. You consider the kid was 200 pounds earlier, but uh, if he's at 225, 230 or so, it gives you a little bit better idea as to maybe how they plan on using him and, and uh, you know, maybe a little bit further evidence that uh, that the strength program, while not able to be as directly hands-on, although Garner, as a local kid, would have more exposure to it than maybe others would, uh, but that, you know, there does seem to be a, a little bit more rigidity in the plan overall, and, and there are some early results that are, are fairly positive. Yeah, this is an interesting one with, with Amari Gaynor, because if you actually believe that he's up 27 pounds, it sort of implies that last year he was only 200 and, and not 215. And I I have a bit of a hard time believing that. Um, you know, like, I have no way of checking this. You can really kind of claim whatever you want to claim on social media, and I'm not going to say that I don't believe it, but it's just a little bit uh, difficult to believe. But, yeah, I, I think that they're – with the strength program, they're they're pretty organized. Uh, I just I do think the results are going to kind of be all over the board. Um, they've managed to keep a decent number of kids at least in Tallahassee. Not all of them, but some of them, uh, and I think that has helped them with accountability somewhat, working out in groups. Now the big thing here is going to be nutrition, right? Like some of these kids have the ability to get nutrition because of, of their own, own you know finances and some of them really don't right you know a, a lot of a lot of their grants and scholarship checks and stuff uh, people are like oh that's, that's plenty of money to, to eat well yeah but it is if you're not sending a whole lot of that money back home you know and I think once if you're actually living back home the the pressure on you to mm-hmm. use that money to help you support your family as opposed to getting nutrition for yourself is uh, is even greater we, we, we hear about that you know, every year, like, like guys in support roles will say, Hey man, this guy came to me and 
he's like totally broke and it's like the second week in October and we're like, you know, what the heck? And he's like, man, you know, he just, he had to send so much of his money home, right? Like, like his, his folks are out of work and you know, that's, that's a tough situation. So I'm interested to see like what these guys look like when they come back. But I, I think some of them have, have done a really good job, certainly. And, and for the most part, I, I think their buy-in has been good. At, at least that's you know, the feedback we've been getting. You got to take it with a grain of salt because nobody's ever going to tell you, hey, our buy-in's terrible, right? Like none of our guys are following the lifting program. You, you You're certainly not going to take to social to be like, haven't lifted in 13 days and do <laughs> not care. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. Um, I think of uh, uh, something that we've heard from from various staffs is like the idea that you have two kids who you want to come back to campus at 300 pounds. And your concern is, is that one's going to come back at 275 and the other's going to come back at 330. Um, it's, it's just going to be very interesting to see how, you know, some of these pieces that have floated further away from the program than they ever have before, what they really look like when they come back. And, and that's certainly not going to be a Florida state specific issue or concern. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So, Two other quick things here before we get out today. Uh, Christian Meadows uh, over the weekend reported that he was medically disqualified. If you don't know what that means, if, if you're new to the show, if you're kind of newer to the sport, medical DQ means uh, basically like you're no longer able to play physically. You, your, your body's kind of broken down. In, in Meadows' case, his shoulder is just shot, apparently. Uh, that was a question that they had on him coming in, but uh, he was a Jimbo commit who Willie and those guys ended up keeping. Um, they really didn't have a whole lot of other options. They, they kind of had to roll the dice. He actually had some pretty good high school film w- when he was healthy, and, and so it, it certainly sucks that, that his career ends that way. But with the medical DQ, uh, he's able to stay on a scholarship, right? So he gets to finish his education, but he does not count against your uh, scholarship cap of 85 scholarships. So that's that's uh, that's good news there, at least. And, and hopefully Meadows is able to get a degree and, and get the career that he wants to get. Um, Montezuma, George, I, b- I believe, is, is where he was from. What what county is that, Ingram? <laughs> uh, is Montezuma, shoot, I don't know. I know exactly it's in very central Georgia, uh, but I'm not sure exactly where, uh, what county that would be in. Oh, man. Finally, it's a, a, Okay, I thought, county. I actually thought, I thought it was Macon, uh, and it is. So, just looked it up. Just nice. Looked it up. <laughs> All right, uh, and then we had a lot of listeners ask us about uh, Houston offensive tackle transfer Jared Williams. Uh, look, lots of competition there, right? Miami did get uh, Isaiah Walker from Florida, so uh, maybe a little less competition from Miami, but I'm not totally ruling them out because they do have the connection with Derek King there. Uh, Ole Miss has former offensive line coach for Florida State, but also for Houston in Randy Clements, who coached Williams in 2018 when Williams had a, had a really nice year. Uh, his high school coach is actually on Baylor staff and apparently USC has also jumped in the mix here. Uh, I mean, look, I'm going to be real honest with you here. Florida state has a lot of playing time to offer an offensive tackle transfer. What it doesn't have is the preexisting relationship with this kid that Miami, um, through Derek King, Ole Miss through their offensive line coach, who's coached him and Baylor through his old high school coach would seem to have. Um, so I, I don't know if you should be super optimistic about this, but as far as I know, Florida state has not been ruled out either. So that's, I guess, positive news there. Maybe. Yeah, maybe for fan bases clamoring to actually have some success in the transfer portal at this position. Yeah, a little concerned this isn't going to be it either, but uh, we'll see, you know, we'll continue to follow it and, and, and watch. Um, one final thing that we didn't necessarily talk about, but has there been any more clarity as to Fabian Lovett? I, I know that like there had been some talk that he had maybe taken away some of his Florida State stuff on social media. I don't, I don't you know, I don't know how binding stuff like that is. Uh, is should Florida State fans have broader concern that that's not a, a done deal, or where do we stand with that? Yeah, I, I think they should absolutely have, have concern that it's not a done deal. I mean, just being real honest here, like. Uh, he took his Florida State stuff off his profile, you know, like if I mean, dude, 
that's not we're all kind of new to this, like trying to figure out how the hell this works and and what that means. And this they don't is not something anything. that was on our our show notes, so I'm I'm literally just throwing it at Bud. But um, yeah, that's that's a concern. Uh, so uh, just something I popped into my mind here, kind of as we're exiting the show. But that's uh, something to keep an eye out for, definitely. I mean, look, we. We know that kids who pull their stuff off social media and, and like like they're all they're committed to stuff off, off social, uh, that's typically not a good sign for the school that was the subject of, of the social media post. And he took his all all his Florida State stuff off his profile. Uh, they don't sign anything binding, so the only way that that Fabian Lovett is uh, is at Florida State is if he's actually at Florida State. That's mm-hmm. the only thing that would lock him in. For this year, I mean, like think about about Gardner Minshew, right? You know, who Gardner Minshew is the he's quarterback for the Jaguars now. He was the <laughs> yeah. baller at Washington State. I, I know you know. I'm just you know telling our audience, I guess. He's got a good mustache from what I what I remember. He yeah. does. Um, he was he went he was at East Carolina. He had announced he was transferring to Alabama to basically be like their emergency quarterback slash like learn under Nick Saban, and and he wanted to get into coaching. Well. Then Mike Leach said, hey, you can actually come here and have a chance to be our like compete for our starting job at Washington State. And he was like already moving to Alabama at that point, I believe. And but he hadn't taken a class yet. So he was able to go to Washington State, if I if I recall, uh, as, as a graduate transfer. So. Yeah, you should definitely be concerned about Fabian Lovett. Fabian Lovett's, I think, by far the best player Florida State got so far in the transfer portal and like that kid's not locked in locked in is not pulling. Hey, I'm committed to Florida state. I'm transferring to Florida state off, off your Twitter profile. That's, that's not locked in at all. That's the opposite of locked in and other schools can still recruit him. Like there's nothing binding. Maybe not the note that I planned on ending the podcast <laughs> on, but <laughs> just, it's something that popped into my head, wanted to ask you about. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, um, it's been a fun morning show. We'll try to get this out to you as, as soon as possible. May not have some of the production elements that others have, but uh, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Bud, we'll have another podcast out uh, within the week or so. Uh, again, just want to thank our, our listeners uh, for the support they've given us and the support they've given our sponsors. Uh, it's been an incredibly difficult time for many, and uh, it's meant an awful lot to Bud and I. Uh, to you know some of the things that you guys have done, uh, particularly for for Madso. So thank you very much. We look forward to talking to you soon. And if you get the opportunity or an interest in leaving us a review, uh, five star written review is uh, is very impactful and greatly appreciated from the two of us. Till next time, thank you very much.